I'm Emma G. Rose, author of Contemporary Fantasy and Mythological Weirdness. I'm Shelley Shearer, author of Urban Fantasies and Cozy Mysteries. Welcome to Indie Book Talk. Join us as we explore the expanding universe of indie books. Welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today we have Christy Alexander Hallberg talking about her upcoming novel, Searching for Jimmy Page. We are going to ask her some questions about turning memoir into story. Thank you for being here, Christy. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. So please tell us how this all started for you. Well, I've been a huge fan of Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page since I was 15. I have older siblings, and uh, one of my older brothers was a rock drummer. He was 10 years older than I. And he just worshipped the ground that John Bonham, the drummer from Led Zeppelin, walked on. And (laughs) so that was my introduction to the band. Um, my, My mother and I came home from church, of all places, one Sunday, and he was on the sofa watching MTV's uh, showing up their concert movie, The Song Remains the Same. And I took one look at Jimmy Page and that was it. It was like the Messiah had arrived. <laughs> so, yeah, I go, I go way far back in my interest in, in their music. So tell us about the memoir piece of this. I, I understand that you had some sort of kind of journey you went through as you went about writing this book and it's morphed into something different than where you started. Yeah, well... I was very close to my mother, and she died of cancer in 2003, and that just really knocked me for a loop. So I was struggling with grief for years and um, decided that I needed to do something to shake myself out of that if I could. And I found out that Jimmy Page with Brian May of Queen and Dan Hawkins of The Darkness were judging a guitar contest for charity. Um summer of 2005. And I had never been abroad before. I didn't have a passport. But I decided, you know, I think I'm going to go. So got a passport, figured out a plan, got a ticket to that. And there was something in me that just said, if I could make it there, if I could be in the same room with him, if I could speak to him, have him speak to me, it, it was almost like he had become the gatekeeper for rejoining the land of the living. So that's what I did. I I went and um, I couldn't, there were a couple of times when I got close to him. One time we were standing shoulder to shoulder and I couldn't speak. I just didn't say anything. I'm standing there like a dork. And I think I had two or three brushes like that. And then finally he was leaving and something snapped. I just realized if, if I don't do something. I will never be in this space again. This moment will never come again. So I chased him down the hall. (laughs) Yeah, not my proudest moment, but there you go. So I chased him down the hall and he's with bodyguards and they stopped at a stairway of all places. And his bodyguard was urging him down the stairs to a car park, I assume. And I, I just started to scream, Jimmy, I came all the way from America just to meet you. And he stopped and he looked at me and I said it again. And um, his bodyguard taps him on the shoulder and he looks at me and just smiles and says, I'm sorry. And he split. That was the end of that. But I I like to tell people, yeah, I met him. He spoke to me. We made eye contact. So (laughs) I can deal. 
but thankfully that... you didn't tackle him to the ground or anything. This all could have ended so much horribly. <laughs> yeah, no, I did not jump on him. No, it's, I, I draw the line at some places. So that's kind of, um, that's sort of where the memoir was coming from. I didn't start writing that until a while later. I was married and my husband at the time also died of cancer in uh, 2014. And so I started to work on the memoir about that trip in 2005, which was all about grief and, and healing and recovery and all that. And so that's, that's I, I realized by the time I got to the end of that 300-page memoir that it was really more of a, a, a grief tool, a healing tool, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't ready for prime time. So that was a bitter pill to swallow after all that. Plus, I'd made another trip. Actually, I'd made three more trips to England and visited Led Zeppelin sites and just realized there's a story here, but it's really not a memoir. It really needs to be a novel. And so it, I took a few months to just kind of let that gel and began to work on a plot for the, for the novel. But that's how that happened. Did you come to that realization alone? Like, did you look at the at this completed draft and just go, ah, crap, this needs to be a novel? Or did somebody talk to you about that? How did you come to that decision? No, I came to it on my own, actually. I sent it out to several places and put it in a drawer, so to speak, for a few months. And when I went back to it and read it again, I just realized not only is this not ready to go out in that shape, but I don't really want it to. Mm. I, that's not the story that I really want to tell. That was something that I needed to tell myself and, and just let that be the end of it. Well, who was the, the famous writer who said the first draft is just you telling yourself the story? Oh, I don't know, but that's wonderful. That's Isn't accurate. That, yeah. I, I, wanna, I always describe all these things to Hemingway. It probably wasn't <laughs> Hemingway, but let's say Hemingway said that. Somebody famous said that. Okay. I'm stealing we'll it. with Hemingway. Hemingway okay, we're good. We'll go with that. <laughs> so what had to happen um, in terms of the book itself and, and writing it in order to transform it from this very personal memoir into fiction? I had to start from scratch. There were so many things that I couldn't keep. Um, what I did keep was my great-grandfather, Jesse Baker. He, that, that's actually the name that I use for the character in the novel, too. Nice. Um, he is, looms large in my, my um, feeling of family lore. Um, he, he died in 1946, long before I was born, but he tried to cure his wife of breast cancer by, uh, taking her into a cabin in the woods. And he, he took a class on faith healing, a correspondence course or rather. And my grandmother would tell me that my great grandmother died in agony, you know, because it didn't work. Um, but I just, he's always been this interesting kind of spooky figure in my imagination. So I kept him in the novel and he actually does try and cure his wife in the book, who's also named after my great grandmother and, and it doesn't work. So a lot of the, the stories from my youth about him are in the novel. So there is a bit of kind of family memoir still yeah. happening. Yeah. Are there any um, situations or scenes from your real life that made it into the novel or are they all completely reimagined? Well, uh, 
to a degree, yeah, they're reimagined. Um, I did keep a lot of what really happened when I was in England chasing Jimmy Page down the hall in the novel. So I don't want to give too much away about that, mm-hmm. but there's there's a lot of that that really did happen. Okay, okay. Did you have any concerns about? I I always wonder this with memoir, like even even in this altered form, did you have any concerns about how your family would respond or how other you know people who knew you personally would respond to this sharing of a personal story? No, not really. My great grandfather's been dead since 1946, and I, I knew that that no one would mind my telling about that. And there's there's nothing that's um, I think that would be offensive to any family member that I've got in the book in terms of of things that really happened. Do you have any advice for other people writing books about how they can kind of use real life as a jumping off point, as it seems like you did to to write a novel? Well, I think. All writers do to a to a degree. Um, I don't know that I've got any advice per se, but uh, dig into your own life. Uh, write about the things. And this is a quote from a writer, and and this person's name escapes me as well. But write, <laughs> we'll have to put this in the comments. <laughs> I know, I know. But write about the things that keep you up at night, and that's usually the stuff that's happened to you. Mm-hmm. So th- the things that you're grappling with, or that's what's going to make a, a compelling story or a compelling character. That's so interesting that you say that because uh, my all of my novels have have been those sorts of things. You know, mm-hmm. they they start with real life and then they become something completely different. Right. And, and I write fantasy, so I mean, mm-hmm. they really become something completely different. Yeah. Um, but I think that's true. That you know that thing that they tell you write what you know mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean write the day to day mechanics of your life, but it exactly. means like, write those feelings, write those emotions, write those fears. Right. Write what you want to know about the things that you know, or write what you don't know about the things that you know, that sort oh, of thing. I like that. Do you feel that not just the the memoir piece that you wrote, which was obviously cathartic, but do you feel like turning it into fiction was a like another step in your catharsis and your, your healing process? Or was it just the thing you had to do next? That's a good question. Um yeah, I think it was cathartic. I, I think it was, It. I know it was freeing. It was, I, I worried every, every step of the way through the memoir about hurting somebody's feelings because there obviously was a lot of personal stuff in there. And that, I, I had many conversations with my sister about, oh, I don't know how X person's going to react to this. And she always told me, write as if they're dead. Just, just keep going. <laughs> and, but, um, <laughs> The novel was, I felt so much freedom and it, um, it freed me up stylistically, not just with, with content, not just with story and character. It, it freed me stylistically too. I had much more fun writing the novel than I did the memoir. And I just realized that's not my genre. I think a lot of people start with memoir though, because it is in some ways, it's so much more accessible to write your real life. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to kind of shift focus, but I'm going to take a pause here for a moment to let listeners know that Shelly has had to drop off the call. These things happen when we're podcasting. So uh, it's going to be me and Christy from here on out. Don't be alarmed that you don't hear from Shelly again. Um, I don't know if she's coming back, but we're just going to soldier on in her absence. Okay. Okay. So 
the shift that I wanted to make here is I understand that you are a teacher. Yes. And you teach literature and writing at East Carolina University. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So we very rarely have people on the show who are teachers. So I want to know, I want to pick your brain for a second. What advice, like what's your go-to advice to young writers who come to you and they say, you know, what can I do to be better? How do I do this? What's the like pep talk? What's the advice that you would give them? Well, I know that Hemingway is not necessarily the most popular figure in the world these days, but I tell them to go read Hills Like White Elephants because it is so stripped down because I find that one of the things that that novice writers do is overwrite. And they think more is more mm-hmm. and almost always less is more, not always, but almost. And I think he offers a great model for how to strip down to the bare bones and get to the essence of what you want to say. And not that everybody needs to write like that. I don't write like he does, but it, it's, it's good practice in the beginning to learn how to get down to using strong nouns and verbs, getting to the essence of what you want to say rather than writing all around it. I agree. That's my favorite thing about Hemingway. I remember reading uh, The Old Man in the Sea and just being like, I mean, entranced. It's a very short book. And I sat and read it all in one sitting. And I was just entranced because there there are no spare words there. Right. And I think that the advice to write or to read something different than you write Mm -hmm. is really powerful advice. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we learn as, as authors. I mean, we are surrounded by this masterclass. We have all of these books at our disposal and even more so now in the modern world where you can download a book in 30 seconds. Right. Um, who else do you point your, your students toward? Um, Toni Morrison for the rhythm and the musicality of her language, of her writing. I love Mm her. Um, Jhumpa Lahiri I like a lot. Um, I just read Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo not that long ago. I get, well, I guess it was last year. And I love her voice. I love the ballsiness of her writing. I haven't so, read that one. I'll have oh, to pick it's fantastic. That up. Yeah, it was the winner of the Booker Prize for 2019. Oh, okay. So I also tell students to read poetry, too, you know, for the imagery, for the just the savoring the language. Do you read books that aren't quite so literary like what's your guilty pleasure <laughs> pulp fiction kind of oh my gosh oh come on we won't judge okay uh, all right <laughs> i love pamela debar's groupie memoir i'm with the band i have read that so many times and she that's did a, your comfort read i love that book yes i do do you do you feel like it inspired you at all in the writing of uh, searching for Jimmy Page? I mention it in the novel, actually. The, awesome. char- the character has her hands on a copy of that book. So, uh, you know, but I shouldn't say guilty pleasure because it is well-written. She is a good writer. And, um, it, but it's just, uh, I, I'm such a fan of the whole 60s music scene. And she was very much a part of that. And knew Jimmy Page and all of these these crazy rock stars from that era. So that was that that's a lot of fun to read and and I do read it over and over again. Do you use um song lyrics ever in your teaching of students? I feel like if I had that much of a appreciation for music, I would be pulling in the song lyrics where I could. 
I'm not so much in my teaching. I, I have to tell you, though, I started when I first started writing the novel, and even in the memoir, I had tons of Led Zeppelin lyrics in it. And a friend pointed out, um, who is a published writer, she said, there is no way that anybody is going to accept either of these books for publication because it costs so much to get permission to use song lyrics. And it's a pain in the rear too. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is true. Readers and writers take note. Those song lyrics are expensive. So if you can find a way around them, unless you're using something public domain, right. Find a way. So I still left some in when I sent it off to uh, my publisher and I said, well, I, it can't be that hard. I'll just, I'll try and get permission for these lyrics. And I forget the name of the publishing, the, the publishing company of the lyrics, the, the music, but I sent in a request for permission in January of 2021 and I still have not heard. So about two or three months ago, uh, my publisher said, just take them out. And I thought, oh my gosh, well, there goes my book. It's, I'm going to lose so much. And it turns out that it's a really, and my publisher said this, it's a better book because of it. Because what I, I had to do was get creative and allude to images from the songs or it, it just um, indicate that I was referencing a song without using actual quotes from the song. So there is a way to do it. And, and I would tell anybody, just skip the quoting the song lyrics is a pain. Just don't do it. Well, I'm also imagining now a really dedicated reader who like goes on a scavenger hunt mm. to, to listen to all the music as they read and, you know, figure out, oh, that's that song. And that's mm-hmm. that song. I, I feel like that's like a fun extra game that your mm. readers can play. Well, I hope they will. I want to bring it back to, you mentioned in passing just now, your publisher, and we are a indie book talk. So I want to um, point out that your publisher is the University of West Alabama's Livingston Press. Right. So that's what we would call a small press. Mm -hmm. Um, What was the process like to get published through them? Did you have an agent? Did you query them directly? How did that work? Yeah, I queried them directly. I don't have an agent. Okay. So uh, Joe um, got back to me, the editor got back to me within a couple of months, I guess. And, and then I guess it was another couple, two or three months before he said yes. <laughs> okay. So it's a process, but um, he's, been, he's been wonderful to work with. And what degree of support are you getting from Livingston Press? Did they help you with things like editing and cover design, or were those things you had to do on your own and bring to them? No, I didn't have it much input at all on cover design. I, I did say initially, oh, this is what I want. I want a picture of Jimmy Page. And and Joe Taylor said that, okay, like with the song lyrics, we can't afford, we're small press, we can't afford to pay for a picture of him. So let, let's let the art department see what they come up with. And I love what they came up with. So I really had no input at all. Um, editing, yeah, I've, I've he would send his thoughts about what to change. And we would discuss it via email. And um, I'd either make the changes or he'd say, well, maybe we don't need to do that. So we did have, it was very much a team effort. It was a back and forth. And then there were typeset copies given to me to go through and, and edit and proofread. And they had a team doing the same. So it's, it's been a partnership. I'm looking at a cover of your book right now. And Mm -hmm. you have 
a little endorsement here that says, in her wondrous first novel, and it goes on from there, and it's lovely. Thank you. Um, and this is by Liza Wieland? Yes. And it says, so this is this is a woman who, she was named, her book was named one of the best books by women of summer in 2019? That's correct. Paris and she read your book, and she was like, this book is amazing, and you should read it? She gave me a wonderful blurb, and, and I have to say, Liza is also a very dear friend and a colleague of mine at East uh. Carolina University. So we've known each other quite a while and worked together quite a while. And she was kind enough when I had the first finished draft, she read it and offered feedback. And I wound up cutting about 50 pages based on her feedback. And she was also the one who said, you've got to get rid of these lyrics or at least limit them. Um, and then... When the book was done and I was starting to round up people to do blurbs, she was the first person I asked and she was kind enough to read it again in its finished form and offer this blurb. That is a really awesome connection because it's so hard for a lot of indie authors to get yeah. blurbs. Like that's a hard thing to do. So right. that is very cool. And I do, I love your cover and we'll link to your website so that everybody can see the cover. Um, Fabulous. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up here. And I want to tell everyone the book is coming from Livingston Press October 20, 2021. So just a few months. Do you know, will it be available for pre-order or do they have to wait until the book is officially released? It's available for pre-order now at Livingston Ooh. Press's website. Okay. So if you're a huge Jimmy Page fan and or <laughs> just like to read about people fangirling while solving mysteries about their life. <laughs> uh, this is the book for you. Go pre-order it. In the meantime, how can people find you if they want to, um, you know, stalk you on social media and or the internet? <laughs> well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, mainly Twitter, but also Instagram at Christy Hallberg. And I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Christy Alexander Hallberg. And then there's my website, www.christyalexanderhallberg.com. All right. That's easy enough. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank we appreciate you. it. In, in absence of Shelly, I will say she appreciated it too. <laughs> well, I hope everything's okay. And I, I very much enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for being here. If you're new here and you want to help us out, don't forget to like, review, and subscribe.